Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. to our Life Beyond the Chariot series that we are doing. Um, my name is Mickey Seba, the catechetical specialist here at the Institute, and my co-host... Deanna Johnston, the director of Family Life. And I am so excited today for our interview with Deacon Dave Bailey. Uh, your name has spread. I was just talking to some moms uh, yesterday, and I was like, hey, we're talking to him. What do you want me to ask him? And they're like, oh, man, he's so great. Just ask him his story. So uh, you are newly ordained, is that That's correct? Right, yeah. As of May the 20th. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes, congratulations. And never before has someone introduced a statement saying, I was talking to some moms and, <laughs> and it'd be a good thing with me. As a kid, it was never a good thing. Oh, I was talking well. to some moms. Like, we may Uh-oh. have to get into that later in the <laughs> no, show. <right. laughs> yeah, it was yeah. Uh, May 20th. And then um, myself and uh, three other uh, brother seminarians slash transitional deacons are uh, currently scheduled to be uh, ordained to the priesthood on May 29th. Yay. Oh, Yay. man. Saturday, so May close. 29th, 10 a.m. at the cathedral. Very good. Be Mark there, your uh, calendars today. <laughs> and pray that Corona Please is over. Do. So right? we can all go. Yep. Right? Yes. Anyway. Well, now that you are ordained, um, normally we have Deanna lead prayer because she's really good at spontaneous prayer. But you outrank really us. Well, so. I don't uh, know about all that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to pray with you guys. Thank Wonderful. You. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, humbly come before you at this time, thankful for the many blessings that you give us blessings which we so often take for granted we ask that you be with us and instill within our hearts those things that you are calling for us to know those things which you are calling for us to do those things which will lead us closer to you as is ever our goal and as always we give you thanks and glory as together we pray glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit Spirit. as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be a world world without without end amen the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, my pleasure. So one of the things that, because I haven't heard your story, okay, and that's what these moms are saying, <laughs> and they're like, oh, just ask them about his story. Well, I've got a lot so, of stories, so you have to kind of be specific. <laughs> stories but, and stories. Yeah, I've got, I got some stuff. you know. But <laughs> so let's start off with, you know, what's your background? I mean, have you always been Catholic? Um, no, actually, I, I was raised uh, the son of a Church of Christ uh, preacher until I was about, I started having questions at seven, actually. Um, But um, I think I was probably that rebellious teenager age where I was like, I'm gonna figure this out for myself. Y'all don't know anything. You know how you think your parents don't know anything until (laughs) you become a parent? You're like, oh, actually they knew some stuff, (laughs) actually. I was wrong. That humility, that lesson of the humility that you learned sometime in your late 20s, mm-hmm. that humility that says my parents were right and I was wrong. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, um, I was late teens, I think, when I just, I mean, we obviously it would take forever to tell all these stories in, to their full uh, fruition. But the point is, at some point, I, I definitely did feel that there was something missing from uh the evangelical Protestant tradition. And I didn't know until I had converted and gone to Ireland and met up with some ancestral connections and all these other things that the thing that was missing that I felt, even as a seven-year-old, 
and I mean no disrespect to anybody, but I felt like I'm in a building on Sundays with a bunch of really good people with really good intentions who believe in God and love God, but that's it. Mm. This is just a building, you know, and it could just as well be outside. And it wasn't until I became Catholic that I realized that that thing that was missing is the presence and the tabernacle, you know, that real presence. And the, I was in the Navy when I first went to a Catholic Mass. I, I think I was 19 years old. And I went in and immediately I didn't know what it was, but I identified that at that point the still unknown entity, whatever it is that was missing where I had been and growing up with my parents, it's here. I still don't know what it is, but whatever that thing is, it's here. And then it was obviously years later after becoming a Catholic, going through RCIA, um, that I was, you know, educated and catechized enough to know that, oh, the tabernacle, in the tabernacle is the host. Mm. And that's the real presence. And that's the thing that's missing. Oh, I get it now. You know, we had the, the, the Sola Scriptura tradition, and there's a lot of great things I learned from that, some founding, you know, blocks or whatever, building blocks, some foundation stuff. But we didn't have the mystery, the awesomeness, the greatness. We did not have that great gift of being able to sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament exposed in front of us. We didn't have that. And I, I knew that something was missing. So it didn't take long after, once I was in the presence of it, even without knowing what it was, I identified that the it thing is here. Yes. Wow. And I began to make that transition at that point. That's awesome. So that was your first experience of Catholicism? Yeah, was I was mass? in I was in Navy I was in the Navy. I was in basic training. And in basic training, you know, you get yelled at like ninety nine percent of your time. The one percent of the time that they don't yell at you is on Sunday mornings they would allow you to go to a religious service of your choice. And when I was in I don't know what it's like now, but when I was in, you had two choices. You had a non denominational uh, Protestant service, or you could go to Catholic Mass. And the guys that I had kind of become friends with, well, I, I should say, backing up, that throughout my teenage years, I did study a lot about the Catholic Church. I felt called to be Catholic as I'd say I was as young as maybe 16. Mm. And I, I, thought, I thought to myself, you know, they go in there and instead of just sitting there having a conversation with God, like, you know, they actually kneel. That's so much more reverent. That's more appropriate. You know what I mean? So I had those kinds of thoughts. So by the time I got into the Navy, I had some some guys who were willing to bear witness, and, and they were said, we're going to Mass. Would you like to go with us? And I said, absolutely. And they said, okay, this is what you do. You kneel when we kneel. You stand when you stand. When we go to communion, you stay where you are, and that's it. I'm like, okay, that's great. I can do that. And that was it. First exposure, I'm like, yep, I found it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So where do you go after that? I mean, yeah, you know, if you, if you yeah. sort of have this experience like, okay, I don't know what it is, but it is here. I mean, that to me sounds powerful. Yeah. And like God was like, <laughs> Well, that's just it. I mean, I think most of the time that we are, I, I think that we are, most of the time we are being led by God. We're just not always aware of it. And we're not always aware of where it will lead us. And you, you don't really know until you get there that that's the place that you're meant to be. And mm -hmm. all these sequence of events that happened that led to that point, you then look back and go, oh, it all makes sense now. But at the time, I didn't know what was going on. Right. You know? Right. Until you get to the destination and realize this is where God wanted you to be. Yes. 
Yeah. So it was kind of like that, basically. I just kind of followed. I was like, okay. You know, I was wow. like, you know, he was like, oh, okay. You want me to be Catholic now? All right. I'll be Catholic Done. now. Done. Done. Yeah. Was there any fear there? I mean, was there was um, there any hesitation? Well, yeah, I was worried about my parents being upset with me, my dad, and he was at first. Now mm-hmm. he's okay with it. Um, but at the time, he he was pretty upset um, because he felt, I think, that it was a failure on his part mm-hmm. to adequately convey his understanding of the faith in a way that I would receive it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I wanted something <clears throat> other to him seemed like I was rejecting him as being not as good. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not nothing personal, dude. It's just, you know, you don't have to say you got two sacraments. They have seven. I'm going to go over there. Also, they were the originals. There's some uh, this. There's some original. They were the originals. So there's that. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other great influences I had. I remember as a kid watching because uh, I grew up uh, I was born in 72. So I grew up 70s and 80s. And um, I remember the great gift of growing up and seeing on the news or during his visits to America, the great St. John Paul. Mm. I thought he, he was, he mm. spoke to me in such a way. Um, even as a kid, a Protestant kid growing up and seeing the Pope mobile whenever mm. he would visit America. And I was like, there's something about this guy, you know? And I just fell in love with him instantly. In fact, I do actually remember when he became Pope. I'm old enough to remember. I was a young kid, but I still remember it. So, I, his entire papacy was within my my living memory. Yeah. So wow. I had a relationship with him from early, early on. Do you consider yourself to be a JP tier? I love that guy. I, I, I always say St. John Paul the Great, you know, because it's, you know, it's not like being declared a doctor of the church, you know, it's done by popular right, acclaim. Right. And if there's a great saint in my lifetime, it's got to be Ooh, him. Yes. You know, Amen. I mean, obviously Mother Teresa as well, but I mean, they were buds anyway. So yeah. you got yeah. the two of them together, right? Powerhouse. So. Yeah, they they did. Uh, it was official. They actually did rock the Casbah. Is it's, it's, there's a record of it somewhere? <laughs> they, 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 you rocked the Casbah you know? <laughs> at least once. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I know we were talking um, before, and you were giving me snippets of your story. And I know we're not going to be able to fail mm. all of it into one show. Yeah, we'll do so that we, in part we'll have two. to do. Yeah. We'll definitely have to do more episodes yeah. with you. But I had made the comment. You know, you know, Deacon, you're a later vocation, right. and you're like. Actually, no, not really. No. So tell us about yeah. that. That connects to, to well, your experience it, in the Navy. It does, actually. It's a good segue. Um, um, yeah, I mean, my vocation is to service. You know, your your son asked, what do deacons do? Diaconia, as we all know from our great bishop, you know, is, is service, right? It's to serve. And yeah, I've, I felt that calling very early on. I, I, was, um, I was in college, and my dad, who left college during the height of a very uh, unpopular war to voluntarily enlist to go to Vietnam, uh, I came to visit. uh, I was in college. I came home to visit. My dad said to me, um, hey, you need to come in here and see what's going on 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 CNN. And so I did. And it was the first day of the the, uh, Desert Storm. It was the bombing of Baghdad. And I was just blown away by that, that, uh, you know, he and I were sitting there and I was very aware of the fact that he had left college and gone and enlisted and and felt that call to service and i i felt the same call at that time i said well college can wait i can come back to this so i went to a recruiter and i went to a recruiter and she my recruiter was a female she um she 
was just great. She just took me in and she goes, okay, you know, this is good. So I got into the Navy and I thought it was good. And by the time I got in and all my training was over, it was, you know, uh, the war was over. Thanks be to God. In hindsight, I'm so glad I did not actually have to experience that uh, armed conflict. But, um, you know, and God bless those who have, because it's really hard to live with afterwards. And I know a lot of friends of mine, including guys I served with and women I served with who, live with the traumas and the terrors mm. of the things that they had to endure. I think, thank, you know, thanks be to God, I was spared that. But I went in fully willing to, if I was called upon to do that, to, to do that. And anyway, by the time I got in, the training was over and all that. The conflict had, had de-escalated and all that. So um, I just went into peacetime Navy. But um, but I, was, I remember standing there, and I told you this, that I had already um, up to that point had a – a real desire to work with uh, with First Nations communities or, or what people refer to as Native Americans, uh, the indigenous communities here in the United States and Canada. And I, um, from an early age, had that desire to, to, to work uh, in those communities. And so I remember standing in, in the Navy, I was standing at attention, and um, I remember thinking, this is good service, this is honorable service, this is good. But I know that I've been given gifts and talents that will be better used in a higher purpose, mm -hmm. a higher level of service. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do my time, and when my time is over, I'm going to go back to college, and I'm going to see what, you know, what is in store for me, what God wants for me. And it, it was like an answer to my question. It was like this thought entered my mind. I'm standing in the position of attention, and I'm getting yelled. Well, we are all getting yelled at. <laughs> and we're like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just sitting there thinking, and it, the thought crossed my mind. Get out of the Navy when your time is up. Go back to college. Work with natives. And I was like, okay, I'll do Clear that. mud right there. I'm gonna wow. do that. I'm gonna do that. I, I'll do that. You know. And so it became more more than a thought in my mind, a, a, a real drive in my heart to do that. So I I did. Um, and then you know you know you tell me where you want me to go from there because we can go in any number of directions. <laughs> right. But I I did. I said okay. So I got out of the Navy and that was the first thing I did. It was it was the craziest thing because I, I I was as I was getting close to getting out. I saw this beautiful Native woman in a mall selling beadwork and uh, arts and various uh, things like that. And I was a uh, night twenty. I think it was twenty twenty one. And so I was drawn to, uh, and I saw this beaded bracelet, and I thought that's the perfect excuse to talk to this woman. So, <laughs> so nice. I, I went up there, and I was like, "Hey, tell me more about this beaded bracelet." <laughs> Needless to say, she sold me the beaded bracelet uh -huh. and uh, <laughs> invited me to come to this community uh, get together. She said, "You know, there's a lot of natives who are in the military and who are spouses with people in the military." And she said, "There's actually a large community, what they call an intertribal community mm -hmm. here." And she said, "We actually get together about once a month. You should come." So I did, and I met all these great people, including her husband. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, and I already had the beaded bracelet. I was like, "Oh man, I can't believe I bought that. I'm gonna take that off now." But I met all these great people, mm -hmm. and they just took me in and they were like, Hey, you ought to, you ought to go up to my reservation. You ought to stay, spend some time with my grandfather. I'm like, nice. I'd love to go do that. Nice. And I just did. So yeah, where do we want to go from there? Well, when was <laughs> the first 
time where that thought of being called to the priesthood first yeah. pops into your Well, so, so the theme is service, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm in the Navy, and that's a form of service. And then I felt called to a different, more specific service, which I want to emphasize I still maintain mm-hmm. my relationship with Natives. In fact, I was just saying I was just this weekend in Montana mm-hmm. um, for a funeral of an absolute legend. Uh, there's no way to s- describe what an influence this person was in my life. And so I, um, the, the theme being service, and then I got the opportunity to go to Ireland, and as I was, you know, my mother's family about a generation or so ago were from, from Ireland. They would have been Irish Catholics. And um, I, went, I went to Ireland because they wanted somebody who had connections with uh, Native communities where they could do like a philanthropic kind of a thing where it's like we would like to support financially those who need it. But we want someone with good connections who can make sure it gets in the hands of those who will use it for the, its intended purposes and not somebody that's just going to put it in their pocket. Yeah. And uh, I had a friend of mine, this native guy, who was over there, and he was visiting Ireland. They had him over for this conference. And they were also like a cultural preservation type of thing. So they, they were talking about preservation of languages and all these kind of things. Anyway, he said, I got the perfect guy for you, man. This dude, he's Catholic. He's got Irish heritage. He's got native. He's been working with native communities. He's, he's everything. And they said, well, can we trust him? He goes, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him with your money. You can trust him with your girlfriend. Just don't trust him with your beer. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, this is Ireland. We got plenty of it. So it's okay. We can, we can. Anyway, so they invited me to come over. They asked me this dumb question. I said, if we bought you a plane ticket, would you like to come over to Ireland? I was like, uh, let me think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so they had me over and within I mean, again, if we had a lot more time, I could tell a lot more to the story. The connection when I got there was just instantaneous. It was just amazing, and I was so glad to be there. And so it was the call to service, and they said, you know, we would like you to liaise on our behalf uh, working with the Irish government, with Irish philanthropic cultural preservation societies and Native communities in Oklahoma, South Dakota, Montana, Arizona, and we'd like you to kind of be our, our liaison. And I said, that would be great. And, and so that began a relationship uh, in the country of Ireland where I spent a lot of time between 2002 and 2012. And I was going back and forth to uh, Oklahoma and to other places in what they call Indian country, uh, South Dakota, Montana, these places. Um, and again, it's service. And the whole point here is service. And I felt called to this, this service. But as I was doing that, and this is what we were t- kind of talking about in your office, I was also very involved in the church. And so I was involved with 40 Days for Life. I was involved with, um, you know, centering my plans for Fridays during Lent to make sure I was able to be at Stations of the Cross and eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner for Lent. Good, good Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was doing all these things. I was involved, um, RCIA, all these things. And so I'm sitting at church one day, and um, this was in Oklahoma, and I was going back and forth between Dublin and Oklahoma a lot. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting there, and this thought came to my mind: Can you give more? And I'm like, now, hang on a sec. How much more do you want? <laughs> Man, let's be specific, because right? I don't know <clears throat> what that means. But I thought about it. I took it to heart. I took it prayerfully for a period of about two weeks. And then I came back and I sat in the same spot of the same, that same mass time, just to make sure I didn't know. <laughs> I want to be, make sure I was tapped into the source, you know? <laughs> and I gave, I, I had an answer. I was like, yeah, I could give more. And I did not expect a reply to that, a follow-up question. I didn't know it worked that way. 
But I was like, yeah, I can give more. And the immediately the thought was, can you give everything? Man. I'm like, oh, now hang on a second now. Hang on. I'm out. I got stuff. <laughs> I got some stuff going on. We might, well, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> yeah. So it's the, the theme is service. And so yeah. like what well, you were talking about late vocations, I, I believe my vocation, and this goes back to the question of what do deacons do, even though I'm just a deacon in transition, but even for priests, it, it, it doesn't change. Sacramental the call service. is to service. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the call. Yeah. And I believe that I first felt called to serve by going into the military during a time of conflict. And then from that to work with a, a vocation within a vocation, a specific uh, community that I that I still maintain my, my great love and connections with, relationships with, et cetera. Um, and then from that further on, you know, and one thing that was kind of funny was going back to the thing about the tabernacle in the church. When I finally put it together, it was this old woman in Ireland, right? And she was talking about the fact that my mother's family had been from Ireland and they had been Catholics and all the rest of it. And she was talking to me about the communion of saints and how all of us together, this goes back to service, all of us together were called to pray for each other. And the saints, saints known and unknown to us, who we celebrate on the 1st of November, the Feast of All Saints, they're always praying for us. Mm -hmm. And she said, your ancestors were calling you back. (laughs) And I said, and I said, uh, calling me back to Ireland or to the Catholic church? And she goes, yes. I said, well, right on. I'm glad I answered the question. I'm glad I said yes to their yes or whatever it was. But anyway, yeah, so service. And so as as I'm going along and and investigating the places that I'm being called to serve, I realized that I'm being called to a greater level of service until it got to the point where there wasn't really much left. And I remember thinking, as we discussed before, about uh, St. Therese and her story of a soul where she talked about the blessing of not being encumbered by the burden of outside connections and Mm -hmm. outside relationships that that kept her from her vocation. And I was thinking, oh, man, that must have been really nice. (laughs) Because the more time I'm spending in the church involved with 40 Days for Life, RCIA, Eucharistic Adoration, all these things, the more time I'm spending in the church, the more time I'm feeling like I don't want to be anywhere else. Yeah. You know? And so it, it was kind of a thing where, you know, I followed that, that, that vocation of service until it got to a point where it became very clear to me. And, of course, I got a very specific answer, as I told you. And you tell me if you want me to tell that story or not. I don't know how, how much time we have. But I got a very specific answer. And so I think the, the, the message that, that really applies to everyone, uh, regardless of their state in life or, or, or wherever they are, is that I was open to it. I was willing to receive it. I wasn't always the quickest at figuring it out, but I was open to it. And if there's anything that I would say has helped me the most in discerning all the stages of life that I've been led on, it has been time in prayer. I, I say this, I met with uh, some uh, some of the, the icy youth. I met with them and I said, Put your smartphones away for 15 minutes a day and make that 15 minutes in time of prayer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Silent prayer. You have to have a relationship. If you, if you don't, I say this all the time. If you, if, you, if you have somebody, like I know I was in high school in the 80s. I only know one person from high school who I still am somewhat kind of sort of in touch with. So all the people I was friends with in high school, I can't say that I still have a relationship with them because I haven't seen them or talked to them in however many years that's been. You can't say you have a relationship with someone who you don't talk to. The thing about God is this thing is about a relationship. You know, he's revealed himself to us through divine revelation throughout the ages from the very, 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 very beginning 
where the most primitive of our ancestors had some concept of some deity. Maybe they thought it was the eight-headed octopus man, but they knew that there was something. From the very beginning, God has imprinted within us this desire to know him, these seeds mm-hmm. of desire, if you will. <clears throat> these seeds of desire that's, that, that will grow if you nourish them, but they grow towards a deeper relationship with him. That's the whole point. So I, my thing is I say make time for prayer. Make time to shut out all the distractions because we all know there's a bunch of them. And as I also said to you at, at one point, and I wish you would have been a part of this conversation too, we'll have to have it afterwards. I can yes. tell you the, the, yes. the, 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 uh, the extended edition stuff that we can do next time. But I, what helped me the most, especially in the, the discernment to the call to the priesthood, was Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. Every week, at least one hour a week. If you don't do it, it's your own fault if you don't have things figured out, you know, because if you do do it, you don't have to figure anything out. Things are just they just happen. You know, the story that I that I shared, you know, earlier was um, I was in an in-between period in my life and I was willing to say yes. But I was hesitant because I know how serious it is and I know that it's a lifelong commitment. And I was really wanting to make sure I was sure that I was sure that I was sure. And I began spending one hour a week on a Wednesday night from 10 to 11 p.m. in adoration with this adoration society in Oklahoma where you're assigned a, an hour every week. So if I say I'm going to be there from 10 to 11 p.m. on Wednesday night, I'm responsible for every Wednesday night being there from 10 to 11 p.m. So I signed up to do 10 to 11 p.m. on Wednesday nights, and they assign me a partner so that if I go on vacation or if I get sick or if I can't make it, at least somebody's there, so it's perpetual adoration. So I have this partner. He's my dad's age, and we were polar opposites as far as, you know, he was very successful in business, and I was doing, like, a lot of social work type stuff and, you know, a sociology, Native American studies background, and he had, like, a business background. We were very vastly different, but in – In the course of a year, we spent every Wednesday night from 10 to 11 p.m., he on one side, me on the other, in front of the sacrament alone in this chapel. And in the course of that year, he at one point said to me, hey, I think we should talk after. I mean, of course, we had already gotten to know each other at this point. But um, he said, I think we need to talk. So we did. And he said, you know, Dave, I feel like the voice of God is, is really present in that chapel. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he goes, I feel like I'm really feeling called, you know, in a certain way. And I, I feel like, you know, God is really present in that chapel. I was like, yeah, he sure is. And he goes, I really feel like I'm being called to be a deacon. And I said, you you should do that. You'd be a great deacon. And he goes, yeah, and I really feel like you're being called to be a priest. <laughs> I'm like, well, Wait a minute. hang on now. Time out. I got stuff. I told you, I got stuff. <laughs> like, well, you better handle your business because I'm telling you, you're being called to be a priest. So he did actually go through the process to become a permanent deacon. So my my the transition year in seminary from me finishing philosophy and starting theology was his diaconate ordination. So I went up to Oklahoma. I was sitting in choir in my casket and surplus serving at his diaconate ordination uh-huh. mass. And then when it came time for my diaconate ordination, I called him up and I said, hey, bud. I'm uh, going to be ordained on the 20th of May, my diaconate ordination, and uh, I need to ask a favor. And he said, what? And I said, will you vest me? 
Wow. He starts crying. And I'm like, I'm not going to cry. But anyway, I was <laughs> telling Deanna. At the, he did. He and his wife came up. And my, my because of the Rona, my parents and other people, my family weren't able to be at the ordination. So when I got, we were coming in, and I see we have sections for our immediate family. Mm-hmm. And in my immediate family section was his wife. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting with the deacons. And um, when it came time for the vesting, he vested me. And then there's a, a point afterwards um, when the after the bishop you know does his thing, and then you're standing there and you're being greeted by the deacons. And he came up and he comes up and he gives me this hug. And he he thought he was going to say something, but I shut him down. I was like. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I am not about to cry. You better not say anything touching or moving or heartfelt. You better just save it for afterwards. When we go to lunch, you tell me then, because I'm telling you, I'm not about to cry. Because I was struggling, man. I was so close. (laughs) Wow. That is, as I'm just listening to your, I'm in utter amazement. That's the short version of the Yeah, I know. I'm like, I skipped a bunch of stuff. I feel like we need to have another series, like Discussions with Dave. Deacon Dave. (laughs) That could be another spinoff. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. After your ordain. Anything you want. (laughs) But I think what I find most fascinating about your story, and I'm sure there was a lot more of like just the discernment, but you seem to have this clarity Mm. when God Mm -hmm. spoke to you and an openness to to respond. And I think... And I think that that's what's beautiful. Um, and as I'm hearing your story, you're like, I felt called to this, and I was like, okay. And then when you were asked, <laughs> when you were asked the question, um, "Are you willing to give everything?" and they're like, okay, I had to, yeah, you know, and like, that's a that's an intense question. I, I didn't give a straight answer. I mean, I didn't give an answer straight away. I had to take some time with it. Yeah. I was like, uh, hang on a sec, time out. <laughs> I got stuff. Yeah, you know. It's funny, someone told me this a long time ago, and they said, you know, if you want to make, I'm sure you've heard this, it's it's a common saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plans are. Mm -hmm. I had plans. Mm -hmm. I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) My plans were wrong. Like, nope, you're not going to do, I know you think you're going to do that. Guess what? No, you're not. You're going to be a priest. But your life is such a testament of like the the peace that you seem to have with where you're at. And like the fruit like that's a fruit from spending time with Jesus because yeah, so many of us absolutely. are like, we're so obsessed with like having control of the yeah. plan, but being able to let that go right. and let God step in. Yeah. That's the hard part. I think, um, is the idea of like letting go, like yeah. letting, and I think, too, the idea of like letting go of, you, of your plan. Right. Well, you know? plans sometimes. I, know, right? I mean, you know what? It's like, the thing is, a lot of times you think you have these great plans, and then I, I hate to, I hate to quote a country song, but you know so sometimes you have. Country. I'll forgive you. Sometimes you have to, you know. I thank God for unanswered prayers. Except the thing is, He doesn't leave any prayer unanswered. Right. This old, 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 old right. Indian woman told me this one time in South Dakota. She said, "God always answers your prayers. Sometimes He answers." And it takes a long time mm. because you're not ready and it's not the right time for you to get, you know, this thing that you're praying for. And she said, and sometimes the prayers are answered so quick that you just can't believe it. You're just blown away at how fast and how merciful and how great and, and you know, loving God is. And you're just blown away by it. And she said, and sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. But he always answers your mm-hmm. prayers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to answer your prayer, but you're not going to like it. Right. 
So we're just going to have to make some adjustments. Exactly. But it's about being open, I think. And I, I'm certainly not, I haven't perfected this. I have anxious, I have anxieties like everybody and probably more than most. So it's about being open, I mm-hmm. think. Um, of course, sometimes you have to convince me for me to be open. It's like, show me a sign here, man. Like, like yeah. I mean, that's another thing, another story altogether. But yeah, sometimes it's just about being open. Like I, I was talking with some very, very, very good friends of mine this past weekend up in Montana, and and one of the one of them and I were talking, and she said, you know, it comes down to really do we, you know, either we trust God or we don't. And and we, if we trust Him, then we're going to trust mm-hmm. the directions He leads us in. And if we don't trust Him, then we have to ask Him to to, to help our our disbelief. Mm-hmm. You know. If you don't, then then it's not like well, if you don't, you you lose out. It's just if you don't, then you know, ask him, tell him yeah. that. Like I, I'm scared. Be honest. I'm yeah, nervous. Yeah. Help me out, buddy. Yeah. I, I want to believe, but I'm a little nervous. I got right. some stuff. <laughs> I had stuff. I'm telling you, I had stuff. Yeah. I had a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, we were really, really great about putting obstacles in his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. like so many times I've experienced this encounter where God's like, I will do a whole lot of stuff for you if you will just move out of my way. Yeah. You got to move out of your own Step way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just get away. Just move out of his way and trust him. And again, uh, I shared this with you and Deanne earlier. I, I say this a lot. It's a quote. It came to me about two years ago. I was in South Dakota. I was anxious because I was running late to meet with this person. And as I'm driving through absolutely beautiful territory and place I've been since the mid-90s, this thought came to my mind. You know, I was prayerful. I was anxious. I was like, God, I'm I'm nervous. I'm going to be late. And I just had this thought come to my mind. God knows what you need, and he knows when you need it. And as I explained earlier, he knows what you need, but that's not always what you want. Yeah. And he knows when you need it, which isn't always when you want it. Right. (laughs) Right. God knows what you need and he knows when you need it. Yeah. So I kind of try really hard when I get anxious to listen to that voice, Mm -hmm. listen to that, to remember that, you know, God knows what we need and he knows when we need it. And if you find yourself struggling to believe, struggling to hold on to hope, struggling in your faith, struggling with doubt, because who isn't? There's so many things going on in the world that make you ask questions. That's okay. Take it to prayer. That's the main thing. It's about relationships. You know, Mm -hmm. it's about relationships. God wants us to have a relationship with him. That is why he revealed himself to us throughout the ages. Ever since the cavemen were doing the painting of the eight headed octopus man, (laughs) they knew there was a God. They just didn't know anything. They didn't know anything more than just this vague concept. But God has always been making himself known to us because he wants us to have a relationship with him. Yes. And that is why when you go out, and you see this great sunset over the ocean, something so much bigger and better than the greatest of man could ever create, and you have that encounter, you're just in awe. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, oh my God, that's amazing. That's God waving to you. The fingerprint of the creator is seen in the creation he created. Mm. That's a Deacon Dave quote right there. I like it. I love we it. should make T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> a, oh, yeah, feel man. free to quote me. Yeah. Right? The, the, the fingerprint of the Creator can be seen in the creation He created. Yes. And sometimes in those sunsets and those moments, and like for me this past weekend in Montana up in the mountains, sometimes you see God waving at you through sunsets and mm-hmm. setting suns and 
and smiling children and mm-hmm. very you know, he waves at us through beauty yeah he says hey i'm here yeah. and it makes you want to, so the thing is a relationship you have to pray you have to continue to pray and when you're struggling when you're doubting guess what that means you're human go to him with it and just be honest like i'm i'm nervous i'm scared i don't i want to trust you but i'm worried i got stuff just yeah. tell him it's not like he doesn't know. Right, right. right. <laughs> and he's you know, bigger than all of that. He's a big guy. He's, yeah. He knows, you know. Yeah. This is so helpful because it, everything that you've said applies to wherever you're at in your mm-hmm. vocation mm-hmm. discernment, whether you're you know, discerning marriage, discerning religious life, priesthood, um, or if you're a young adult. Um, for us as parents, you know, Mickey and I both have sons, um, two sons. And it's hard for me to imagine my wild <laughs> two-year right. or almost four-year-old um, becoming a priest. But I mean, it would be it would be such a gift, you know, to yeah. to have our sons to discern the priesthood. And what encouragement would you give to parents, or what are things that we right. should be doing to encourage that discernment within our children, whether it's religious life sure. or priesthood? Well, I think there's a lot of answers to that. It's a, certainly a question that we're having, that we're asking a lot more mm-hmm. recently. I think a couple of things. One is, and this isn't something that, well, this is actually something that my generation uh, has kind of complained about, and I think rightfully so. We didn't know it was an option. Yeah. You thought priests just materialized as priests, that they just came out of the package that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. You just show up to Mass and there's Father. Well, <laughs> yeah. where did he come from? He came from the back of the <laughs> church. <laughs> That's where Father comes. Where do priests come from? Yeah, that's of course that's a joke. Here we just I just made a joke. Where do priests come from? The sacristy. <laughs> that's where they come from. Where do the priests come from? The rectory. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. duh. Yeah. Come on. They was, they, you know, they built the house and there was the priest. And that's how it happens. Yeah. So we didn't know it was an option. Right. So having that conversation without, I mean, obviously without trying to push anything. The other thing too, though, is is to emphasize that you know the vocare, the calling, mm. the vocation. We're all, we all have a vocation, you know. Mm-hmm. Priesthood and religious life is something we need to talk about as an option, as something that's out there, that's something that people are called to. But we also have to 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 realize that, you know, there is equal nobility in the vocation to be a husband or a wife, or a husband or a you know a father or a mother, mm-hmm. equal dignity. So they're all vocations, you know, and then there's those vocations within a vocation, like you talked about, you know, young adults and things. And both my parents were teachers. So they were parents. So they were, they were, they were husband and wife. They were parents and they were teachers. You know, they were all these things. Those, that's vocation. You're being called to do what God wants you to do. And if you're doing that thing, that's, that's the vocation. So the thing that I think we can do is, is to be more open in having the conversation to say, there are options in your life. Here are a few of them. And also there's these options too, you know, the other thing I think, which is good. And I think to kind of brag on our diocese, I think our diocese does this exceptionally well. I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase that. I don't think I'm convinced our diocese does this exceptionally well. We, do a really good job of having seminarians and people who are in various stages of formation who are accessible to the people of God. They see us in our formation. Yep. Mm-hmm. They see us from the very beginning. When I was studying philosophy as a seminarian under, under Father Gavin, who I'm going to have lunch with in a, about an hour or two, um, I didn't know a whole lot. There was a lot I didn't know. I didn't grow up as an altar server because I was a, a convert. But from that time 
to now, there are people who who knew me as parishioners then, who, you know, this is in St. Patrick's and Lufkin, who still are a part of my life. And they've seen me walking through this journey. The same thing goes with all the seminarians. We're, our diocese is really good about having us seem and to be seen as approachable yeah. and as just regular people. And you see the journey, and it does start to speak to young men and, and hopefully young women as well to say, oh, they're just normal people. Mm-hmm. You know, this, they didn't just come out of a package. You know, the sem- you know, they didn't just come pre-packaged. They didn't just come from the sacristy. They came from somewhere else too. They, they, I mean, all of us, and by us, I mean those who are currently seminarians for this diocese, we were all as drastically different from each other as anyone is from anyone else, you know? And uh, I didn't know this, but if anyone's seminarian, if any seminarian from our diocese is watching this, <laughs> I know now what you say behind my back. <laughs> I heard this yesterday. I had dinner with a guy last night, an expectant father, his first, expecting his first uh, child. And he, uh, he goes, yeah, you know, I was talking to father and one of the seminarians was there and uh, he was telling me, I said that I had, you know, had his baptism class that you taught and that, you know, I thought it was really great and I heard you get some homilies and I was talking about Deacon Dave and that the, the seminarian who won't be mentioned. <laughs> said to him goes yeah you know all of us in seminary you know we 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 have things we say about dave like where does dave come from the answer is this is according to what this guy told me the seminarians say where does dave come from i don't know he's a citizen of the world (laughs) i love that i'm like i'll take that that's what you say okay if if you're not saying anything worse than that behind my back then great We're normal people. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're humans. We're, we yeah. laugh. We have different personalities. And so I think interacting with people in various yes. stages of formation, yes. uh, thats the, I think that's the greatest uh, recruitment tool that we can have. Not that we do it that way, but I mean, not that it's necessarily specifically for that purpose, but I think that's the best recruitment you have because mm-hmm. I never knew. I was scared, in fact. And when I first approached, I called, I messaged, I emailed Father Braun, who was the vocations director at the time, and, and, and set up a meeting with him. But I was scared to death because I thought, you know, if you go in and say to a priest that I want to be a priest, I mean, this is a serious thing. It's a lifetime commitment. I mean, what if he laughs at you or something? Like, <laughs> get out of here, kid. What are you talking about? I mean, seriously, I was scared. I didn't know how it happened. The whole idea of vocations and discernment and all these other things. I mean, in my generation, we didn't have those conversations. We didn't know what those things were. We just didn't. I mean, you know, you thought the priest came from the sacristy and, 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 or whatever. And, and so the idea of like seminary and all these other things, or even for the religious life, you know, mm-hmm. discernment houses and going through these different postulancy periods and all these other things. And how does that happen to have, uh, you know, the, the, um, the religious and the, and the, and the clerics and those who are in formation to become, you know, those things, in with intermixing with intermingling with uh, the people of God is the best way I think um, to to because if you are being called if you have that feeling something triggers it mm-hmm. something triggers it you know yeah. that's that's my answer to that question and the other I mean again and just paired with that is is also the understanding that being mom wife teacher are all not only vocations as well, but they are vocations of equal nobility. Mm. You know, they're all, we all have to play our part. It's all part of the communion of saints. Yeah. Emphasis on communion, yeah. right? Communion, community, it's all, we all have to work together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, awesome. 
So probably yeah. a longer answer than you wanted. So. No, that's no, okay. it's great. It's great. <laughs> and I and I think too, um, one of the things that just got me thinking is how am I setting up my kids for the whole idea of service? Mm. Because mm-hmm. into and this may have to be a whole other conversation yeah. on its own, but. Um, but I sometimes feel like we are in a culture where our children are just receiving things. They are right. receiving an education. How do you instill service in a culture that says, serve me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Write that down. We're going to come back Ooh, to that. We got to come back to that. Yep. Yeah. We got need it. to start a book. <laughs> right. How do you instill service in a culture that says, serve me? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that, and I even find myself, and I've been in ministry for, I mean, ever since I graduated college. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I felt that call at a very young age. I can't, I can't pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a big conversion when I'm like, this is the type of ministry I'm going right. to do, but I've always kind of had this love of service. I can't tell you where it came from. Sure. And, yeah. um, but I think too, that that's part of the, part of the key to our children and even us as adults mm-hmm. now looking at, okay, how can I be of service? Mm-hmm. Not getting mm-hmm. stuck in this culture of like me or right. having in a sense tunnel vision where all I'm doing is focusing on this one thing that I see and over here where God is speaking to me. Right. You, know. Well, you know, you just said something that, that kind of triggered something in my mind. You said, you know, love of service. How can I have this love of service? I think it starts with love. Yeah. Mm. You know, and that coming back to a practical how can we do thing comes back to parents to say if you're raising your children well instilling them instilling within them to be empathetic caring people not just serve me um that's the first step i think you know obviously an exposure to the sacraments and bringing them into the church Mm -hmm. and developing within them this this relationship which as we all know relationships require work um this relationship with god you know that's the place where it starts, you know, yeah. that love. I had a specific, I have a specific love that I've kind of alluded to a few times, and that's been placed within me. We all have something comparable, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, you like you, you, you both work with, with, you know, catechesis, with children, with families, with all these things. You guys both are very, very busy, and God bless you both for that, literally. I mean, you know, we need, you know, more Mickey's and Deanna's, you know? I mean, we need, we need more priests too, but you know what? I mean, a priest is doing an awful lot of things that he shouldn't be doing. If he doesn't have good teachers, good Mm -hmm. catechists, good people that are doing things that, that they're, you know, called to do. We're all supposed to be working together. So the love thing I think is, you know, if you're a good loving, holy person who has this relationship with God, you do care about other people. And that's where the desire for service begins. Oh, Man, I'm gonna so I'm gonna have to like bring this to prayer, Deacon Dave, right? and like okay, what you know, but, I know right? and I think too, um, and if I could sort of leave any sort of parting words with people, and this is also advice I'm giving to myself is um, to not get to just so caught up in like the everyday, like this is our routine, right. is what we this is what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, and to be like, oh well, I just heard something that spoke to me, um, so I need to I need to sit with that, you know, like when there's a clear moment when you're like okay, I'm feeling something, to sit with that um, and allow God to work in that. So, like, now I'm just, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go back to the drawing board. Like, okay, what, you know, um, serve, instilling well, service, being open, yeah. the whole idea of, like, do I trust God? And if he, and I know he is asking me the question because he asked everyone this question. like, are you willing to give everything? Can you do more? Will you, you know, can you give more? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. Can you give everything? Mm. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I want, <laughs> I want, 
<laughs> to want right. to say I want yes. To say yes. <laughs> right. Well, and the other thing is, A, when you're having problems trusting God, be honest with him about mm-hmm. that. And the, and the other is with that companion thought is make time every single day, even if it's only 15 minutes, to turn everything off, to disconnect, and to make time for prayer. Yeah. Amen. Man. Yeah. And you will see the fruit of it. Uh, you'll you'll see the fruit of making time to unplug for 15 minutes a day. Yes. If yeah. you combine that with 15 <clears throat> minutes of, of silent prayer, I mean, obviously you do more than that. I mean, it's, uh, we're, we are, are, are strongly encouraged to do a holy hour every day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as now that I'm uh, been, um, ordained, I'm required to also do the Liturgy of the Hours mm-hmm. every day. And I have a personal arrangement with Mary. We made a deal. And I'm not going to tell you about the deal. I'm just going to say my end of the bargain is I have to pray the rosary once a day, every single day. So I do that. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, being open to those times where you're being <clears throat> stirred within the spirit, when you mm-hmm. do see that awesome sunset or the the dolphins in the ocean or whatever, and to 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 be open to say, yeah, I need to make just yes. go into some silent prayer there mm-hmm. spontaneously. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know this is one of our longer <coughs> yeah, episodes, yeah, but there's so. so so many gold nuggets oh, I feel like, of, yeah. of wisdom and truth here. And um, yeah, we encourage our audience to just take take all of this to prayer. Because even if you're not called to the priesthood or religious life, even as, as married couples, we're called to be open to God yeah. in our lives and to open to that that movement. So, um, Deacon, you will have our prayers for sure, especially yeah. in this final year. Well, of, let me tell you, the, the, they have always said to me, as long as I've been in seminary, the last thing the devil wants is another priest. Mm. That's truth. Yeah, that's that's truth with an F. That's truth. <laughs> <laughs> so please pray for us. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm, and May May twenty ninth. Yeah, the the ten o'clock on a Saturday morning at the cathedral. It'll be myself, uh, Deacon Nick Napier, Deacon uh, AJ Mott, and then uh, Deacon Michael Ledesma. Beautiful, wow. yeah, beautiful. Well, All I'm, four of us. You have I am our prayers. So excited, um, and I know as laity the desire for like good priests and i am so proud of the diocese of tyler yeah me too and, and i'm not um, saying that because i'm in it i'm saying that i'm proud to be a part of it yeah. because of that yeah. and yeah. we are overjoyed um of the of the new uh, you know incoming members of class. the new class. Class. <laughs> yeah, um, the incoming and class, all of yeah. all of all of the men who have so yeah. courageously said all right lord i'm i'm willing to give you everything so i can't I can't thank you enough as a mom who's trying to raise a holy family, um, you know, and yeah. yeah. So just thank you. We need moms. I tell you, I, that's why I said to the mothers for Christ, I was like, man, we need mom. Mom's prayers are powerful. They are. Don't mess they with mom. Are. Do not mess with mom. <laughs> they are very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. Well, we invite you to, if, yeah. if you feel called to the priesthood and you are part of the Diocese of Tyler, um, I think it's dioceseoftyler.org, probably slash vocations. It sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Father Joshua Nye is yeah. our current vocations director. Um, you can also uh, look at more information about the St. Philip Institute and our teaching mission, which is hopefully planting seeds for mm-hmm. vocations um, in the long term. But again, Deacon Dave, thank you for being with us. And will you give us a blessing before we Absolutely. Leave? Let's uh, close our eyes and uh, remember that God is with us at this moment. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to get together to discuss how you make yourself known to us in our lives, how you call to each and every one of us first and foremost to know you, to love you, to be in relationship and communion with you, 
and also how you call to each and every one of us to serve, to serve our fellow men, our fellow women, to serve you as, as the children of God that we are. And we thank you for all the things that you do for us, especially those things which we take for granted. And I pray all these things and bless each and every one of you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, thank you right. so much. My thank pleasure. You. Anytime. Let me know.